So today I have the opportunity of sitting down with Tiffany Taylor-Smith. Could you tell me a little bit about your work and your position here at University of Dayton? Sure. I am the Executive Director of Inclusive Excellence Education, and my primary responsibility is looking at the development of intercultural competence for faculty and staff across campus, Um, and then how does that inform the way in which students experience the university as well as faculty and staff. And it also plays into alumni relations as well as community development. Um, I've been in an inaugural role. Um, I've been in this position for two and a half years and really looking at not only the campus climate, but also in what ways do we look for opportunities for students, faculty, and staff to engage with the greater Dayton region as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has been a small portion of what I do, primarily focused on within the campus community and how we help faculty and staff develop their skills around intercultural competence and build inclusive excellence for our students. And we partner with pretty much everybody on campus. Um, so I've had, I'm blessed to be in a role where I get to work with everybody. So my, I'm not limited to uh, working with different departments and units across campus, some more so than others um, in terms of what work they've already done around diversity, equity, and mm-hmm. inclusion. Um, but it, it is nice to be able to to partner with different parts of the campus who are either doing the work, have been doing the work, and want to continue to move forward with it. And then looking strategically at areas where we need to be thinking about how are we developing faculty and staff to have these skills, whether it's through mentorship, building their own professional development in their own careers, as well as how do we support students, whether it's through career services or through the Learning Teaching Center, through vocation development mm-hmm. and student advising. Um, how are we able to prepare faculty and staff to engage with students and, by, and what are we hearing from students um, that support that as well so yeah. and so this work like would that include like workshops like what does it look mm-hmm. like exactly it actually and I'll share this with you um, this is the inclusive excellence academy mm-hmm. and I started that my first year here and if you flip on the back there are programs um, workshops that we offer throughout the semester that okay. those are the spring workshops We also have workshops that we offer in the fall. My first year here, we got all of it on one card. Um, This year, we actually had to split them and do a card for the fall and a card for the spring. So it's about, I want to say, maybe 15 to 16 workshops. And we'll we'll stay consistent with 15 to 16. And looking at um, areas of implicit bias, um, gender microaggressions, looking at equity within our Catholic and Marianist values, understanding leadership related to Mm -hmm. our Catholic and Marianist um, values, We have a workshop that talks about restorative justice, uh, looking at um, how are UD students learning about inclusive excellence. Mm -hmm. We had a workshop that talked about that. And um, how are we including inclusive excellence into the curriculum? So there's a range of workshops um, that we offer. And and then we have a series that I've partnered with Dr. Leslie Pika and Kelly Bohr, looking at the history of UD in the city of Dayton. Um, which was, has been fascinating to yeah. work on um, as a, it's a native Daytonian. Exactly. And it's, and UD has not 
we have not done a good job of touting our history and, and mm-hmm. having it like there's no place on campus that you or I could go to that kind of tells the story, mm-hmm. whether it's through murals or um, a walking tour mm-hmm. or anything like that that talks mm-hmm. about. I mean, we've been here since 1850. Yeah. And what does that mean mm-hmm. today to we the look the back? Story. The whole the story. Whole and, and the whole picture around how we are. Um, built work to build relationships with the city of Dayton. Mm-hmm. Who do we build relationships? Who do we not build relationships yeah. with? Well, um, and what opportunities are existing, and how are we working um, towards those? And really understanding the social, political, racial, ethnic landscape right. of the region that we sit in. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with um, Leslie and Kelly on that for since I've been here, basically mm-hmm. looking at that because we just we feel like there's such a great opportunity for students who come here, particularly students who can stay on the property of our campus and have perceptions and stereotypes of Mm -hmm. different parts of Dayton that don't reflect reality. Mm -hmm. But if you've never engaged with those communities, how can you hope to understand or break down potential bias that you may have or unconscious bias. Um, And and it it speaks to the economic landscape of the city because there's certain areas that you really wouldn't have a reason to go to Mm -hmm. um, other than perhaps going downtown. Um, why would I go to certain parts of West Dayton? Um, right. It's just not a an, thriving economy there. So, But how do we cultivate opportunities for students to engage as well as community members to engage with the campus? Yeah, I also think it's a good idea for students who are from Dayton that do go here to also know that history too because I feel like if you would have told me, you know, when I was in high school that I would be in grad school at UD, I wouldn't have believed you. Like, I would have been like, excuse me? So the fact that right. I'm even here, it has put a different lens, mm-hmm. you know, on and perspective on things for me and trying to figure out ways that I can personally make sure that UD is engaging with the Dayton community as mm-hmm. well and just bridging those gaps. Sure. So it's, it's definitely been an interesting experience. And I'll one-up <laughs> you and say, I was living on the East Coast uh-huh. and, and you would have bet me money was this February, three years ago, that I would not be moving back to Dayton to work at UD. Like, I still, it's my first year and a half. I literally will walk around campus like, I actually work here. Like, mm-hmm. I work at the scene. And, you know, being a kid growing up in Dayton, we went to summer camps here, but mm-hmm. it was never, ever a thought that ever. one day I'm going to work here. No. So. Yeah. And people talk about, like, Christmas on campus all the time. I remember mm-hmm. being in Christmas on campus. I didn't know anything about Christmas on campus. I was in first grade when I came here. And I, so it's just so, such a weird full circle moment strange it but, truly is. so speaking of you know coming here and working here what is your background your mm-hmm. work history how'd you get to UD mm-hmm. so I am originally from Dayton graduated from high school mm-hmm. I went to the University of Rochester in upstate New York okay and it, I tell people like I applied to UD Miami and UC and I really didn't want to go to college with the people I went to high school. I just wanted to meet different people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about them. It was more about, I just want to meet new people. Yeah. I don't want to go to college with the same people I went to high school mm-hmm. with. So I went to Rochester, majored in psychology. Okay. My experiences um, really led me to want to work in corporate and business environments and human resources. Because I really felt like, and I think I probably saw this as a kid, like, how do I help people get along? That was, mm-hmm. like, my primary premise. How do I help people get a, 
along and, and be more productive and hear and see each other. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to intern at General Motors when I was in high school. And that was the foundation of seeing union and management and the ways in which they just didn't communicate well. Yeah. Uh, there were some barriers in their relationships and it really cemented for me this notion of I want to go into HR, I want to work in personnel. Mm -hmm. And so went to Rochester, majored in psychology, got a minor in personnel management, and then interned for Xerox in their personnel area for a year, my junior year. In my junior summer, I worked for Procter & Gamble. Um, And it was in sales and marketing. And it wasn't necessarily what I felt I was like called to go do sales. I didn't mm-hmm. really like it. And <laughs> what I realized was it came with a company car. It was a great opportunity, great company. Yes. It was like, all right, junior summer, let's do something right. different. So I tried it. It worked out. Um, they offered me a full-time position at the wow. end of the internship, which was really junior, nice. Junior year? My junior year. So going wow. into senior year, I had a job offer. And in the economy in like 1990, 91 was the first time okay. we kind of hit a bump. And so for bachelor's degrees, there really weren't a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I, going into my senior year, it's like, okay, I knew I wasn't ready to go to grad school and I really wanted to make some money. And I decided to take the opportunity and I worked in Boston for a year, mm-hmm. um, got promoted in Boston, moved to New Jersey mm-hmm. and was in New Jersey for probably about a year or two. It was like, okay, this is not what I want to spend my career doing. Yeah. And started looking at graduate programs, either MBA, and it was like, mm, I don't really know about an MBA. That's not really what I want to do. So I looked at counseling, and mm-hmm. counseling was in School of Education. Okay. So I was like, huh, okay. So I applied to four schools and decided to go to Fordham and okay. stay in the area. And at the time, about a year or so when I started my uh, master's degree at Fordham, I got promoted into HR. So I was going to stay in the region and do recruiting and training, which was awesome. It was like one of my favorite jobs I ever had um, corporately. And so was able to manage our intern program and recruit for interns as well as new hires. Um, And I had two schools, University of Massachusetts and Cornell, and then was able to finish my master's at Fordham took a position and was offered an opportunity to come work in Cincinnati and so I was on the East Coast for seven years came Mm -hmm. to Cincinnati um, my last three years with the company and I did diversity recruiting and training okay which was great because I think everything I had been doing even in high school was was some form of diversity work particularly in predominantly white spaces Mm -hmm. um, whether it was at high school or in college and then working um, corporately in a predominantly white setting environment and being able to do diversity work in Cincinnati was great because you could do it at a, at a corporate level, be able to have access to resources and learn. So a lot of what I did looked at managing inclusion okay. um, and got certified to do managing inclusion training and really realized that my trajectory in sales was really to go back out into sales, into the field somewhere in the country. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to do that. I really wanted to do <laughs> diversity. Just, just know on the sales. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I think I want to. I right. wasn't really in love with it to begin with. Okay. And um, so I decided that it was time for me to, to make a change. And I had been with the company for 10 years and was fortunate enough that they were in the process of offering separation packages. Mm-hmm. And I decided, I've been thinking, you know, deep prayer meditation on what, what am I supposed to do? Cause I know this yeah. is not it. Mm-hmm. And felt like, where can I get people before they get to this age level to help them work on understanding who they are and building those, those cultural skills. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Hmm, in schools. 
okay. And parents. <laughs> so yeah. I decided to leave and start my own consulting company focused on um, schools, businesses, and community organizations. Mm-hmm. And I did that for 15 years after I left Procter & Gamble. Oh, and wow. I was blessed to be able to have an opportunity to be an adjunct professor at Keene University in New Jersey. I did that for 10 years, and I taught child psychology and adolescent psychology. Mm-hmm. And it was truly wonderful to be able... First of all, I didn't even think... I was like, okay, you want me to teach business, communications, diversity? They're like, no, we want you to teach psychology. I was like, really? <laughs> so, okay, sure, yeah. I'll do that. And, and it, you know, it, whenever you have to learn something to teach someone else, it's a whole other level of engagement mm-hmm. with the material. So... Again, fortunate to be able to take my corporate experience and couple it with learning about how we develop. So social, emotional, cognitively, physically, from embryo to grave. It was Mm -hmm. just like, okay, this is is great. Like, (laughs) I really understand it is. And it was nice to be able to have those two really infuse the way in which I thought about how we talk about culture and how we develop our own identity. Mm. Um, And that was, it was a true blessing to be able to do that. And even more so as a mother of three daughters, I started teaching when my oldest was six or seven. Mm -hmm. So by the time she hit puberty, adolescence, I was like, okay, this is what this is. Yeah, making all the connections. It's like, I see this. And and I remember there would be times where her dad would look at me like, why are you not freaking out? I was like, because this is what's supposed to happen. Uh So it made it, it it as, as a mother, really, I was more connected to it than, than moms who don't physically... I mean, we go through it, but we don't yeah. really remember by the time our kids go through it. Mm-hmm. And then um, with each of my daughters, I, it has been helpful to have that baseline understanding. Doesn't mean it was always perfect, by right. no means. <laughs> um, yeah, because we definitely had our moments where I was like, I cannot wait till you go to college. Or, you know, <laughs> become an adult and uh-huh. get through this phase of life. Because I, too, was that way. There were many moments where I would call my mom and apologize for the way I behaved mm-hmm. when I was a teenager. Yes. So did that and then my youngest was going into middle school and the the, the level of time that I needed I was a mom who worked and Mm -hmm. I was blessed to be able to do to be there when they had programs in the afternoon or to do the field trips and and I dropped them off and picked them up from school when I wasn't traveling for work Um, and then you know their dad and I worked that out Um, but it was she was going into the sixth grade, and it was the first time after 15 years I didn't have to drive anybody or pick anybody up from school. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. I got all this time now. I can focus on my consulting. Uh-huh. I can pull back from teaching. And so I'm like, this is great. And then for about three months, it was great. And even then, it was like in the beginning, they would come home from school. And I'm like, okay, how was your day? And usually when you pick them up, that's when you get the most engagement because they're chatty. Yeah. By the time they get home, they're done. They're eating their snack. They're getting ready to start homework. Mm-hmm. So I miss that. But I'm thankful I was able to have it because when they hit middle school, they would take the bus and the bus would drop them off in front of the house. They come in the house. How was school? It was fine. Anything exciting? No. Okay, <laughs> thanks for talking. And, you know, headphones, laptops, yep. start their homework, eat their snack. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go cook dinner now. So right. it was like, this is not fun. Yeah. So I, um, and then I would find myself on campus talking to, and I'd like go to the bookstore to work because I like the energy of yeah. being around people because my office was in my home. Mm-hmm. And I often found myself talking to the students the students that worked in the bookstore or worked in the uh, Starbucks in the bookstore about what they were doing, you know, are yeah. they thinking about 
my internships, what they were majoring in, and if I knew somebody, I was connecting them to them. And after a while, probably like by December, I was like, oh my God, I've become that creepy lady that hangs out in the bookstore. <laughs> like, this is not good. <laughs> so, and I, it was, it, I think I was at that point where I was ready to either partner up with someone else in my consulting business or go work somewhere full-time. Just that community Uh is what I was really looking for. And I knew it was higher education. Um, And it just, my heart was there. Um, The University of Rochester was a great place for me to, to learn and to grow and develop and had developed lifelong relationships with some folks there who really supported me through that time. I was like, that's what I want to be for students. Okay. Um, and so started looking, had built a networking relationship with Amy Anderson in our Center for International Programs okay. over the years. It was like an article in the New York Times when I was in New Jersey and I happened to be in Starbucks and UD was like featured on the cover. And I was like, oh my God, there's UD. Yeah. And I'm reading the article and I was like, I gotta meet this Amy Anderson. Uh-huh. So I'm a huge advocate of networking, obviously. Um, so I reached out to her yeah. and she met with me and we built a relationship over I, I can't even remember it's been at least eight or nine years that we've known each other wow. so three years ago was in town hey I'm in town let's meet at Starbucks and I was telling her I'm starting a job search mm-hmm. and uh, I think I definitely want to stay diversity work in higher education and I'm I'm looking and so she's like you know we're about to potentially launch a position would you be interested and I'm like yes Uh and my mind thinking no because I'm not moving back to Dayton (laughs) so three years later and when I read the so right exactly when I read the job description actually honestly I I sent the job description to my mom I didn't read it okay because I partially was scared because I was like oh my god like Am I supposed to move back to Dayton? Or am I going to read this? Am, am I going to love it? it? And, and be like, yep. Lo and behold, my mom read it. She's my my reader on okay. a lot of things. And she's like, Tiffany, this is this is for you. And I was like, ugh. Ooh. So when I read it, I'm like, oh, my God. Everything I've done in my life has prepared me for this. So yeah. I, was, I was excited to apply, nervous. And then when I came to do my final interview, I was like, I want this job. Like, I really want this job. So that's how I'm here. And then the process, I knew when my kids were younger, at some point I would get my Ph.D. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it, what I was yeah. going to get it in completely, or where I was going to get it. And I was, yeah. that's part of it, knowing that I wanted to go into higher ed. I was like, okay, wherever I land, mm-hmm. I'm getting my Ph.D. Because mm-hmm. that will be a way for it to be funded. Um, and started my Ph.D. after my first year, God willing, in two yeah. years I will graduate with my doctorate in educational leadership. Um, And and I I really feel like higher ed is someplace that I could see myself staying. I I love, I still consult. I'm not a lot. The opportunity presents itself for me to go speak somewhere. I'll go do that. I love it. it, I've come to appreciate that that's like my hobby. Okay. (laughs) So like, okay. Um, And and I get energy from that, engaging with different communities, having different conversations with people. And there are many spaces that I go into where I'm the only person of color. And sometimes it could be all people over the age of 55, Mm -hmm. 60. And we have great conversations um, as they talk about understanding unconscious bias, understanding the ways in which they've been socialized to yeah. see certain I remember groups. your story about the plane ride. Yes. I remember yes. that. Yes. Oh, my <laughs> see, goodness. That was crazy. That was uh-huh. good. Yep, I and remember that. And it's just that. like, you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm... I am very comfortable having conversations with people about this stuff. Yes, and it's fascinating to me to hear their story and to to, to, to try to see the, the way in which people see things, mm-hmm. the lens that they see it, but also to help them expand right. their understanding of it. So right. 
that's how I that, come to be sitting here. Wow, finally. you've been doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to switch gears a little bit, and I would like to know what was the moment throughout your career um, that made you realize you were a leader. Is it my career? Could it, it be can before be your career that? or it could be before that. I think it was probably in high school. I think there were mm-hmm. moments. I'm the oldest of four. Okay. I think that has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And my parents would probably argue that she's always been that way. Mm-hmm. And if it was something that I wanted to do, I was going to figure out how to do it. Okay. And not in a way that was disrespectful, dishonest, or anything like that. It's like, okay, there's a way to make this happen. And to to some people's annoyance, probably, like, why is she <laughs> determined to make this happen? Because uh-huh. it can be done. Yeah. And uh, I think in high school, there were just different things that I was aware of and would meet with different people teachers to say hey you know particularly when things weren't fair Mm -hmm. when something wasn't fair and wasn't right I I really felt like I should speak up for this Mm -hmm. and there were a couple programs that I helped lead at Alter Um, some of the things I helped do CJ just a few and then by the time I went to college started taking on roles in um, our black student organization Mm -hmm. as well as I became an RA Mm -hmm. so a lot of it had to, like I just knew that I like to organize I like to bring people together mm-hmm. and I knew that there were things that I was just really good at doing mm-hmm. that I wanted to continue and I liked it yeah. I enjoyed it um, and even within Procter and Gamble there were moments where I knew I wanted to lead a team or I knew I wanted to lead different projects mm-hmm. and that I didn't necessarily just see my career is being at one particular level. Um, And even more so after I was there for a while, it was like there was no aspect of that business that excited me. And that's one of the reasons why I was like, okay, I need to to leave. But it really, I would say, it it was probably at a very early age where there were things that I knew I wanted to do and I was willing to do what it took to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And so with just kind of assuming that early leadership, who do you feel like has been the most impactful leader throughout your life? Um, and that could be more than one person, mm-hmm. but who who would you say? Up front, I would say that it was my mom. Mm-hmm. I think my mom and, and, and from her, from my grandmother, really making sure that each of her children's education came first mm-hmm. and really worked to in partnership with my dad but my mom was always the one that would make the decisions about where we would go to school Mm -hmm. and what and and they both did like there were things that they wanted us to do whether it was playing soccer whether it was playing softball or taking gardening classes at Wergerson Garden Center (laughs) and being the only brown kids there but there were things they wanted us to do and they really didn't care whether we were the only black and brown kids in the space Mm -hmm. and I I think early on that instilled in me and to this day I'm pretty confident had a foundation for me being comfortable in any space okay and it was because of the things that my parents wanted us to do and and were our strongest advocates for you can do it mm-hmm. you can do this so I, I would definitely attribute that to my mother and to my dad and as I got older there were different mentors um, one in particular Procter & Gamble who kind of took me under their wing but were also people who if you have questions or just trying to help you me navigate mm-hmm. my career um, and one of which I'm still in touch with today 
um, was the HR leader within Procter & Gamble. Another one was the uh, dean of students um, when I was in Rochester, and he was always, when he's the one who's, who would say Dr. Taylor as a freshman, and I'm like, really? Like, he, and that was just his thing. He would yeah. call everybody Dr. So-and-so. Interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> and he actually um, wrote one of my letters of recommendation for the job here. Okay. Um, and unfortunately passed away a year ago. But it was mm-hmm. those one or two people who saw things in me that I may or may not have even seen in myself, but also were able to help me think about things in terms of how to navigate and to to handle certain situations that I would find myself in. Mm-hmm. And those were very helpful. And, it, and there were some men as well as women who were important in those roles for me. Yeah. And so thinking about kind of the early stages of your career and to where you are now, how do you think your leadership is different now than how it was in the beginning? Interesting. So I. In the beginning, I would probably I was more focused on getting it done, and if it were if there were elements that I could do, I would just do it, mm-hmm. and not necessarily enroll other players. At this point in my career, I understand and have experienced bringing in different talents to fulfill certain areas that I don't have, mm-hmm. and leveraging those, okay. and and not necessarily. Looking, thinking about how can everyone contribute to this, not how can I like get it done at all costs and I'll do it if I have to, but realizing that everybody is talented and mm-hmm. there are other people who can contribute and not only they can contribute, but they want to contribute and they want to be a part of what you're working on and how do we work together to give, one, utilizing, you know, five brains is much better than just one and everybody has something that they can and just their vision and the way that they can see things adds to the way that I might see and think about it and I want to be able to recognize people for what their talents and gifts are and Mm -hmm. leveraging them so I'm much better at that now and I just see it I think a lot of it is just maturity and age and kind of growing and Mm -hmm. being in different situations and realizing that as a leader my perspective leadership is about leveraging people's skills and gifts and talents and leveraging them but also recognizing and rewarding them for that and not in a sense that kind of like do as I say no we I'm and I know how to roll up my sleeves Uh and get in there with everybody else and it's so important to the collaboration and the recognition um and it's not I don't take anyone's time for granted and I think it's important to recognize people for what they contribute and give them opportunities to be able to do that. Absolutely. And so if you had to like sum up and describe your leadership in a couple characteristics, (laughs) yes, man. (laughs) What would you say? Mm. Okay. I would say that I'm a collaborator. Okay. I value people. I'm a good listener. Mm -hmm. And I'm ambitious. Period. And so with kind of describing those, what do you think has been your biggest challenge in your leadership? And also, I'm kind of curious to know, has there ever been a form of leadership that you've observed that you admire? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So biggest challenge is... The transition, and, I'll, and I've heard people talk about it before, but I didn't fully understand it 
the the difference between working in a corporate environment and working in higher education. Mm-hmm. And they are different. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I am, uh, from a working style, much more corporate-minded okay. um, in terms of the way I think, the way I look at pers- um, situations in higher ed doesn't work that way. It's just there are different ways in which um, they operate and, and, and business moves faster. Um, as you think about a competitive landscape, mm-hmm. um, product development, right. working with consumers, marketing, there's just things that move faster. Okay. Higher ed doesn't move at that pace. Mm-hmm. And that has been an adjustment for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, as well as my, my VP that I report to. Uh-huh. Um, just because I want things to go faster than they're sometimes capable of going. Yeah. And I have to manage that um, both for myself as well as those around me. I mean, I don't think we should move at a glacial pace, Mm -hmm. but I think we can, you know, push it a little bit in some areas. So that has been a challenge that I've had to figure out how to navigate. Mm -hmm. Leadership style that I admire. Mm. I don't know that I would put a name um, to it, but if I had, in terms of this institution, I would say that Dr. Larry Burnley and Dr. Eric Spina, mm-hmm. I have, I, and Provost Vincent. I the, having an opportunity to work with the three of them. They have very different leadership styles. Mm-hmm. They complement each other really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the cornerstone of all of them is a foundation of integrity mm-hmm. and doing what's right and being prepared to, in some instances, not do the popular thing, but it's the right thing. And that, to me, embodies what leadership is all about, and, and being able to to let people make to let people lead. I think, and that's something that we continue to look at in our community as well as in others. And people are very used to the habits that they've established, mm-hmm. and we're in a time where we've got to give people new tools to develop new ta- new habits, and that's not a human. <laughs> From a human perspective, we're wired to do things the way that we're comfortable doing them. And when we have to change, many of us struggle with that because that change feels uncomfortable, it feels fearful, it Mm -hmm. may make you scared or angry. And it's how do we support people through these changes? And I feel like these leaders have given other leaders like myself the autonomy to go out and look at how do we do that Mm -hmm. and not feeling like, the organization can't handle it, we shouldn't do it. No, we can handle it, and then we'll handle it together. And that's one of the things that I value about being able to work with them as they work to figure out how do we do that, how do we have the right people in place to support the organization as we go through the transitions that we're going through. Yeah, absolutely. So my question to you is, how do you think that race and gender has played a role in your leadership development? <laughs> it's funny you just ask me that question. I think about that a lot. And I, and I in, in all honesty, I believe that obviously my race has played, my race and my gender both play a role in that as a woman, as a black woman, as an African-American woman. And honestly, even more candidly, I think that the, the skin tone that I have has mm. had an impact as well. And I've had conversations with folks about that as well, other people of color, as well as men, in the way that I, there's a level, like, I present comfortably. There are people who will look at me and be comfortable with, okay, she doesn't frighten me, I'm not afraid of her. Okay. And then when you engage with me, it's like, okay, yeah, she's 
she's not difficult. She's not going to beat me up. She's not uh-huh. going to make me feel bad yeah. or all those other things. And I, and again, I think that goes back to the way I was raised mm-hmm. and what my parents instilled in me. And, and that I know that you bring people to the work by finding a space where we can find a commonality and engage. No, that doesn't work with everybody. I'm very much aware of that. But I do know that my gender and my race have played a way in, in, in the way people receive me mm-hmm. and the way that I show up. And I'm like 5'10". So that adds, I mean, <laughs> yeah. when we talk about the, the physicalness of it, it's right. like I I look most people in their eyes or mm-hmm. they look up. So yeah. that... <laughs> I just and it's I'm, the truth. It's the yeah. truth. And, and there's studies that support that, and yeah. I I do believe that that has something to do with it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm confident there there are things that folks may have underestimated me for, mm-hmm. and until I had an opportunity to prove them otherwise, they realized, oh wow, she really does know mm-hmm. what she's doing and what she's talking about, and and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. So I know you worked in corporate for a while. What do you were there differences between how you were received in the corporate world versus higher education in terms of just your identity and leadership? I think they were the same. I think it was harder corporately, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, and, and, and here's what I say. My position here at the university, I came in at a higher level. I didn't okay. come in at an entry-level position. Right. So I think that positionality has something to do with the way that I'm received. Okay. Um, but when I started at PNG, I came in at an entry-level position. Mm-hmm. So really had to kind of work to prove myself in that environment. And it, at the time, I mean, this was the early 90s, they were just starting to do diversity work and really trying to figure out how do we support people of color in these promotion track positions and of a span of 30 years things are a little bit different yeah there's still those areas where people have perceptions of you based on the color of your skin and quite honestly what also goes into that is where you went to school I mean Mm -hmm. that I, I don't kid myself in knowing that when people look at where you went to school that has something to do with the way that they perceive you and the potential expectations that they have of you Those are the things that I think have more to do. Yes, obviously my skin color and my gender is going to, but as they kind of peel back, there's that face value. But then once we kind of get to understand what she studied, where she's gone to school, Mm -hmm. where she's worked. Extra little details. Extra little details. When I say where I went to school, just saying Procter & Gamble has a whole nother layer Mm -hmm. of uh, like, oh, okay. And then being here, saying that I work at the University of Dayton, that has a whole nother um, level of impact in this community. Yeah, that's very true. So what are the messages that you think are out there about black women in leadership? And can you describe your own definition of black female leadership? Wow. Okay. So I think messages range from, and I I think it, even in the way that people perceive black women, Mm -hmm. um, there, it's either the if I'm too tough, then I'm perceived to be the angry black woman. If I'm not tough enough, she's not strong enough. She can't really handle it. So I think there's that range of where do I find my my groove, mm-hmm. if you will, that one, I can be tough. I am. I stand on my morals and who I am. Right. I'm confident in what I do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that I exercise my voice. And that... People are going to look at me and think what they want to think regardless. And it's up to me to show up who I am. 
I will say that at this point in my life, in this time, where I am here, doing what I'm doing, my confidence is totally different than it was when I started working at Procter Gamble okay. when I was 22 years old. Mm-hmm. So I have been able to, I feel really able to bring all of Tiffany mm-hmm. every day to work. Like I don't have to leave a part of me at right. home. And that has a very different feel to it than it did when I was, you know, 25, 30 years old working at Procter & Gamble. The confidence level, as well as I've had enough experiences mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty right. good at this. Yeah. And there are things that I can see and bring with me that helps us think and see and do things differently. That at different points in my career, I didn't fully understand all of those things. And by no means am I saying I know everything. Mm-hmm. But I know I know a good amount of stuff about a good amount right. of things. <laughs> so, and, and those things are able to help me in what we're trying to do here. And it's exciting to be able to be valued and appreciated bringing what I know and bringing my life experiences with me in this work. So that is more how people perceive black women. It can run the gamut. So I'm very much aware of that. I, I'm not a big fan of crying at work. I just, I've always been that way. Yeah. Um, I think that the tears do something different. Some people have no control over them. Some people have comfort level in that. I have my own feelings about that. And people respond to them differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just, I, yeah, I'm, I have a range of emotions around when and where how tears enter space, particularly when they're coming from women. Um, and I've seen it used for good and I've seen it used for bad. Yeah. So um, what was it? Was another part of your question? Yeah. What? And so what would be your own definition of black female leadership? Interesting, because I tend to look at it more from a female perspective than I do from a race. I get the race piece. Like, I understand that there are things that my white female counterparts can do and say that I can't say. I'm real clear on that. And yet, I still think I see myself as a black woman Mm -hmm. and that how I show up not only represents me, my family, and my work, but, but there are others who... And I'm aware that if you've never had a lot of contact with black people, and I'm one of the first ones that you get to know, I, I have to carry some of that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I am, and I do recognize that your understanding and contact with people of color, I can do a lot to influence that, positively mm-hmm. or negatively. I prefer to have it be positive. And black women have an enormous have had an enormous burden that we carry not only yeah. for ourselves but for our race and for humanity mm-hmm. and the things in which which we can endure and do endure for for humanity in ways that we want to be able to raise our families support our parents support our communities and continue to do what it is that we believe we were put here to do um, in ways that there's sometimes that we have to take some stuff and Prayerfully, it's not as bad as it has been, um, but but to be able to be recognized for the value that we bring to the table and to be given those opportunities. And, I, and more of that is happening, that people can see me from my skills and what I contribute, not necessarily that, that I'm a black woman. Yeah. 
But I am. I'm, I'm through and through. <laughs> through and, 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 and proud to be. Always yes. have been. Always will be. And so speaking of that, um, what does it mean for you to embrace your culture and identity into your leadership? Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because I am one of those people who... I have found that some people like to say the word white or say the word black and it's like wait did you whisper it did you uh-huh. say it no you're white it's okay yeah. let's 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 say state the obvious and and then I am black like I yes I I look black I am black I mm-hmm. present black I have a black experience um does that define everything about me no right but it's a part of who I am mm-hmm. I'm a woman I'm black I'm a Christian I'm a mother. I mean, mm-hmm. those are those are elements of who I am, mm-hmm. um, and my education, where I've lived, where I've been raised. Those are things about who I am, and I want people to see that. But I want us to also see that there's more to it than that, mm-hmm. um, and and we need to see that about everybody. It's not just because of who I am and the color of my skin. We can't just look at people and then make these assumptions or assessments or. Um, judgments without knowing more about them Um, and I think that black women have an opportunity to continue to do what we're doing and thankfully being recognized and validated and and for what we've always been doing yeah we didn't just start doing this stuff we've been doing Mm -hmm. these things and been doing it under circumstances that many people would quit give up Perish. Yes, our resiliency. It's a, it's a strong a sense thing. of resiliency that is in our blood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in our bones, and it, it's in the, it's in our spirit and the spirits who have come before us that we continue to stand on their shoulders. Absolutely. And yes. hopefully, Ancestors. I'll have some folks standing <laughs> on my shoulders as well. Uh huh. I hear that. <laughs> okay. So, what do you want a professional to know about mentoring or advising young women of color? It is does it matter what the professional's racial ethnic background is? Mm-mm. Open. So in supporting young women of color, I think it's it's again I go back to the foundation that I would have a conversation with anybody regardless of what their ethnic or racial or gender identity is. Yeah. Helping them think about what they're really passionate about, and mm-hmm. as a mentor really working to understand what is that individual's and I'll put a spiritual sit in it what were they put here to do and your passion is is thrives on that mm-hmm. so what's what do you enjoy what do you what do you find when you're doing it that you get excited about it I like that yeah and that's where when you talk to young people is helping them think about what is that for them and then as a mentor and advisor how do I help you find opportunities to do that mm-hmm. whether it's through volunteering whether it's through activities um, through internships, through other folks who are doing it. I know somebody who likes to build Legos. Okay, let's go talk to that person. Yeah. Or I know someone that is really into photography, and that's what they're really good at doing. Let me set up some time for you to talk to them so they can mm-hmm. help you think about, at this age, what are the things that you might want to be doing. So for me, it starts with what people are, are passionate about, yeah. and, and, and their passion really comes from intrinsically what they're what they were put here to do Mm -hmm. what they're really good at doing what they're interested in and if we're all doing what we are what we have a higher skill and capability to do and and we enjoy it that's when that's what I want mentors and advisors helping young people figure out and then helping them find ways to do it because that's where they'll thrive Mm -hmm. and they'll be very successful and if there are ways that I can help 
a young person figure that out sooner than later. Trial and error. Yeah. Even if you thought that's what you really wanted to do and you uh-huh. do it, it's like, oh, I don't really like this at all. Cool. Yeah. Let's take that <laughs> off the list. Let's go look at what else is on the list uh-huh. and how can we find other opportunities to help you get exposure to those things. And how does education play a role in that? Yes. Um, I got it. We always uh-huh. got it's great to go do this, <laughs> but you got to, you know, we have to, to continue to look at education is the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you, there, there's a few cases where you can do well without yes. it. Majority of us will need to have some form of a piece of paper mm-hmm. from somewhere through a degree program that says, yeah. I completed this. Mm-hmm. And that's about tenacity and it's about um, commitment right? and your motivation to see something through. Yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, there's the great debate over whether college is worth Mm -hmm. it, whether it matters, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm just hearing so many things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes it'll have you looking at your own self like, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) Why am I doing this? Why did I do this again? But, okay, we're here. So, yes, um, I'm so glad that you mentioned that um, because it is important. And so... What lessons have you learned as an African-American female leader slash what advice would you have for young black women on their journey through leadership? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, stay true to who you are. Um, And and it's really hard to be something that you're not. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to, to look yourself in the mirror and, and be okay with who you are. And that doesn't always happen instantly. Um, and it's a journey for many of us um, to really think about who am I and, and, and what am I what am I at my core? Hmm. And to live that and not feel like I have to be something for somebody else um, or diminish who I am. I, I need to show up whole with my shoulders back, my head held high, and, and I don't want to play down who I am mm-hmm. so you can feel better about yourself. Like, yeah. we need to be able to stand up and, and be who we are, be strong in who we are, and to know our values. Like, what is important to us? What are, what am I not going to compromise? What am I willing to compromise? And what am I always going to stand on? Because when people think about me, I want them to know this is what she stands for. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that if I go to her, I can count on her. And these are the things that when I can depend on her for, for X, Y, Z. And that is so important to me that um, I'm seen as a, someone who's, when she says she's going to do something, she's going to do it. Yeah. And if she's committed to it, she's committed to it. My word my um, integrity, I go back to integrity, yeah. um, is it, really big. And, and, and it's something as, as people, I think, obviously black women, but as people in general, those are the things that we all have to be able to, and there's this, this for me, this ethics of fairness mm. and, and being able to look at when things are not fair, I got to do something about that. Yeah. Like I can't let that stay that way. Um, and I, I'm positive that's why I do <laughs> what I do for a yeah. living because it's like this is not right. right. And if people understood more about themselves and had opportunities to understand others and not just look at someone's face value and say you know about them when you don't know about them. Mm-hmm. You don't know their story. You don't know what they've been through. And that is regardless 
of someone's racial identity, their gender, their sexual orientation, their religion, their age, mental, physical ability. Right. We've got to be able to, to know who we are, but we also have to be able to take in who other people are and value and appreciate who they are. And I think as we're able to do that and listen, mm-hmm. and listen um, as a leader is so important to be able to listen to, to what, not only what is being said, but what isn't being said. Mm-hmm. And being okay with that. Um, and, and being honest. Yeah. <laughs> honest with yourself and honest with others. Yeah. Does that get at what you were? Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely speak, speak it. I, I really appreciate you being able to sit down and talk with me You're and talk through welcome. this. Um, and, you know, it's just my hope that this really reaches, you know, other young people that are, like, on their journey mm-hmm. through leadership. And I really like everything that you have to say just about authenticity and honesty and really being able to look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> and just, you know, come to terms with that. But showing up, you know, within your full mm-hmm. self. That's right. and, and I think when we show up as our full selves, we give other people the power to do the same. So thank you so much for, for meeting with me. I really appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. Thank you. I wish you well. I'll keep you posted. Let me know if there's anything else I can do. Yes, thank you.